going to get started, uh, and, and we just sort of wrapped up a, a sort of impromptu series. Some of you know uh, we talked about margins for four weeks, and that was not the original plan, and yet God had a different idea. Um, and I think, and I hope, and I pray that you all were blessed uh, just as we talked about uh, what it is to have margins and to live life with margins. We're going to turn a corner uh, into the fall. Uh, I said to you guys, there's a, a, uh, an announcement that we're going to make today that's big, but we're not moving. <laughs> I realized the last time I said we had a big announcement, we moved. Uh, and some of you are not over the trauma of having done that. Um, so, we're not moving. The announcement is yet to come. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, before you leave, unless you leave early, you'll, you'll get it. Okay? Uh, and I want it, to, it, it's going to be the basis for the series that we're starting right now uh, over the next handful of weeks uh, is really just to explore this announcement that you don't know what it is. Um, but I want to start by sort of like calling your attention to, to, to something that I became aware of. I don't know if you guys saw, I don't know how long, a couple months ago, the cathedral, the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, caught fire, right? And so you guys saw that and, and people were, you know, this is a tremendous landmark, you know, they made movies about it. Uh, there's all kinds, it's just this amazing, I've been there. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, the gargoyles are a little weird, but you know, such is life. If you go to the top of this hill, there's people with gargoyles over the house. So I don't, I don't really know. Um, I'm not sure what's up with that. But uh, I, one of the things that I became aware of with my time uh, in Europe is just how long it takes to build one of those things. I was looking and, and you know, some of the cathedrals that I saw in, in Germany were a couple hundred years. The cathedral at Notre Dame took 200 years to build. If you can imagine beginning this project when you were 21 and retiring from this project at 61 and saying, well, we sort of have an outline now of the ground, but for another 160 years, this project won't be completed. If you can imagine sort of being given a task, you know, you have this job to build just sort of the ornate structure over the door. We want to create this thing so magnificent for God, this structure where people will encounter God. And so, but I want you to build, your job is to build just the ornate little, just wisp over the top of the door. Not, it's not structural, it's not foundational, it's whether or not it actually exists is irrelevant. The cathedral is going to get built. But your job for your lifetime is to construct this ornate, over the door, ornamental Peace. And if you can imagine working on that for 40 years of your life while all around you other people are working on their parts and you die without ever seeing the fruit of your labor, this is building a cathedral. And yet I think there's sort of a spiritual like application, a, a, a thing that sort of comes close to that in that we in the kingdom have a role to play of which we don't see the end, right? Every one of us has been given a job, a, a task, a role. You've been designed for a purpose, and yet you don't necessarily see the full kingdom impact until that day when Jesus returns and the kingdom is fully established. And then you go, hey, that right there, that's my little 
wisp. That was the part I got to play. That was the little ornament that I put over the door. And now I see what it looks like in completion of this cathedral. Can you imagine what that's like? That you have a role to play. And that in the end, your role makes a significant contribution. And so this is sort of one of the things that I want to, to, to dig into. There's, parts of, there's times in our lives where sort of God makes things clearer, right? There's, there's times where you, you think you know what God is calling you to do, and he's like, okay, yeah, that you were on your way. You were well on your This is good. Let me refine this a little bit. Have you ever been through that time? Have you ever had that experience where God has like sort of said, well, well, this is what I, th- what I want you to do, and you and me, you know, you're just like I am in that it's hard to kind of hear what God is saying sometimes, and so it's sort of like, I know I'm sort of supposed to go this way, but I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to go this way, and I figure he'll tell me more, right? That's sort of the, what, what I believe we're at in the life of our church. That's where I think we're at, and so this is This is what we're talking about over the next handful of weeks is God sent us here with a mission, but it was sort of like this go mission, right? Very good mission, just go, right? And I think we're at a time when God is refining that mission, and so we're going to talk about that. And so we're going to look in the the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, So if you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians and because, you know, I like pulling scripture right out of the middle of a letter. We're going to go right to the middle. If you need a Bible, there's a handful of Bibles up here. If you don't have one, you can keep it. It's our personal gift to you. For those of you who have six of them at home, bring some of them back. That joke never gets old to me. You turn to Ephesians 4. But before we read, I want to sort of give you some context at what we're looking at here. Paul's writing a letter to a church that he started in Ephesus a while back. Paul started this church, and throughout the opening three chapters, Paul says, hey, you want to know what God's grand plan is? Here's what God's grand plan is. You all who are separated and divided, you all who are busted people group, we're going to put you together as a new humanity. That God's plan, God's purpose, you want to know the secret? That's still what he's doing. What, what God's grand plan is, is he's going to put together separated people as one new humanity, and that through Jesus Christ, this new humanity who are surrendered to Jesus are going to bring about his rule and his reign in the world. That's the secret. That's the big secret. That's what's happening. And so Paul talks about this, about how people who were once divided are now brought together in unity, and he says, Unity is the most important thing. I don't know if you guys have ever read through all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. The thing he holds on to, at least as much as everything else, is unity. At all costs, unity. Not at all costs, at most costs. Unity. And so he turns to chapter 4 and he addresses the realities of what this looks like in your real life, right? Like, It's fun to talk about being united. Have you ever tried to be united with different people? Have you ever gone to another church and tried to be united with them? I mean, Christians aren't exactly known for being the most united people, right? Or maybe maybe they are. Maybe I just didn't know that they were. I mean, 
But Paul says, because spiritually you are now a united people, I want you to make every effort to make sure this looks like the reality in your real life. This is a spiritual principle, right? You were born into this family. It's a reality. I want you to make it look like the reality that it actually is. Here's what it looks like for us to live life together. And apparently, Paul realizes that this is going to be hard. Uh, he could foresee 2,000 years in advance how we have different churches that don't like each other, right? Paul, the great prophet here. And so he presses really, really, really hard on maintaining unity. And this is a question that churches ever since then have wrestled with. How do we do this, right? And the concern is, okay, if we're going to maintain unity, then we all need to be the same. That's the logical conclusion, right? Like, if we're going to be united with one another, probably the easiest way is that we all do the same thing, we all look the same, we all act the same, everybody has to follow the same stuff. Let's just become little clones with one another. This is a question that we all have to wrestle with as we figure out how we exist with other followers of Jesus. Do we have to look the same? And Paul says emphatically, no. In fact, if you look the same, it actually takes away from what God is doing. That there's something about diversity, there's something about the differentness of all of us that reflects God's grand plan. That to look the same would actually be a problem. You know, as Richard and I have talked a lot uh, uh, over the past few years about bringing churches together, we've bumped into this all the time, right? Because everybody has a different idea of what worship looks like. You guys, how many of you were there June 2nd at the Mishler? You guys were there. And the conversation around what does it look like to put a bunch of people who have different understandings of the role of music in a church gathering together. What does that look like? Can we do this thing? Like, you know, this is what we do in our church, but they certainly don't do it down the road at the Catholic church. Is that okay? Will we run them off? What about the Lutherans? They don't do any of that. Will we run them off? What does it look like? Do we have to look the same? Or is there something beautiful in each one of these traditions that reflects the picture of who Jesus is? It's a question that will any of you who ever try to get various churches and various denominations and different kinds of people together will have to wrestle with. How do we become united without becoming uniform? And Paul, in, in verse 7, he, he addresses this concern. And we're going to read uh, chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. And here's what it says. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there 
by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul addresses this issue of what it looks like, and he paints this picture of a human body. It's something that I think we're all kind of accustomed to. I don't see any non-bodied humans here. So we all kind of understand what a... It wasn't intended to be a joke, but... (laughs) Rabbit trail. Right off the side there. But Paul paints this picture of Christ as the head of this body. That he's the decision maker, he gives it the direction, and yet each one of us, every other part of the body exists to serve Christ and exists to serve one another. The rest of the body is made up of individual parts that build one another up. He says in other places, well, I'm not, not all of us are eyes, not all of us are ears, not all of us are hands. We all have different roles, but that our job is to build up the rest of the body. Paul says, far from every Christian being uniform. Christ has gifted every Christian differently as he desires. It's his crazy idea to make us all different. It's not our idea. Jesus did this on a purpose. And the first thing I want you to take from this is that you have a gifting and a ministry calling on your life. That's every one of you. You have a gifting and a ministry calling on your life. Look at verse 7 again with me. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then skip down to verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Here's the point. Jesus gives you gifts and gives you a calling in which to use them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a ministry. God has created you to have a ministry. And some of you look at me a little bit like I'm crazy. And that's because I am. Never mind. The the jokes that I do, I mean, I tell you what, man. When I try, it's just not that funny. But some of you look at me kind of like, I do? I don't think I do. I'm pretty sure I don't have a ministry. I'm not really, I'm certainly not called to do what you're doing. Stand up here trying to entertain us. That's not my calling. And you may not know what you are called to do. And you may not be called to do what I'm doing. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you are designed to do ministry. Period. There's not a like, except for these people or except for those kinds of people. I want you to consider the oddity of the context in which we participate in church. I want you to just consider how weird this actually is in American context. What we do in the American model of church is so unlike first century church. We set up these things where a couple of people play music, and one person gets up here and talks about the Bible, and we all come to be entertained. Now, that's not probably why you're here, but I'm, I'm, all the rest of the churches, everyone, all the rest of them. You guys are enlightened and understand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the way we do church in America is designed to create spectators. 
It's not designed for you to engage in the giftings you've been given. What it's designed to do is for you to come and watch me exercise my gift and then go home and be critical of it. Because what you don't know is we put bugs in your car while you're, I'm kidding. That's not true. That's not true. Right? But this is what we call church. And when you look at Scripture, and when you look, heck, at the rest of the world where the gospel is spreading the fastest, it doesn't look like this at all. Everyone shows up with their gift and exercises their gift. Everyone has a ministry. You have a ministry. I want you to consider the reality that for many of us, we have played spectator for far too long. That for far too long, we've sat in rows and listened to somebody talk and then decided whether or not we were going to buy into what they're saying so that we would show up next week and put money in the basket and buy into what they're saying next week. For far too long, we've done this. We've hand, we've, we were handed a life abundant by Jesus and gifting to do ministry we were created to do, but we've been content to watch somebody else do it. And for most of you, this is not your fault. If that describes you, for most of you, this was not your fault. You were dealt a bad hand by someone with good intentions. You were told that if you pray this prayer, you will be saved, but you were not told what you were saved for. That you were saved for something. You were saved to a purpose. And they meant well. They wanted you to experience salvation, but you have not experienced the fullness of life that has been handed to you. For some of us, we just put it on the shelf. We never knew it was there. It was kind of part of the box, right? They hand us a salvation box, and we just sort of go, this is nice. comes with a candle and a towel, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, sorry. But here's the deal. I want to help correct this today. If you miss everything else that I say today, don't miss this. You are created for a specific purpose. You have a specific kingdom role. It's a role that only you were created to fill. If you don't fill it, nobody else will. It's not like they get somebody else. If you don't fill this role, it doesn't get filled. We don't get the ornate thing over the door. You see what I'm saying? Listen, the foundation is taken care of by Christ. The building will stand with or without your contribution. And yet, there's that little thing that you were designed to do in the kingdom that we were all supposed to go, wow, that complements the way the door stands. And if you don't do that, it just doesn't get done. The building will still stand, but we miss your contribution. You have a role. Some of you already know and understand what your ministry is. You know the gifting and calling that God has given you. But for some of you, the first step is to discover what that is. Some of you, this is news. I have to do ministry? I didn't know that. That's how I imagine you talk in your head. Oh, I didn't know. You become British. I'm sorry. In my mind, you're all British. In your head. You know, I, I set my GPS to British for a reason. <laughs> Seriously. 
if you, let, if you listen to your GPS speak to you in a, in a female British accent, you just know that she knows where she's going. <laughs> she just knows. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But here's the deal. I want us to help you do that. I want us to help you do that, which means you got to talk to me. You got to tell me what you need because I want to help you do that. Which leads me to the second point I want to make. This church, Vineyard Altoona, has a gifting and a ministry calling on its life. You have a calling, and this church has a calling. Look again at verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says the role, the function, the calling of every leadership person in the church is to equip everyone else for the ministry that God has called them to do. That's our job. That is our job, is to equip you to do ministry. It's true of every church everywhere throughout the kingdom. Every local expression of every church exists to be an outpost of the kingdom of the kingdom of God and the leadership of that local church their job their number one job responsibility is to equip everyone else for the ministry that God has called them to do to the degree that we fail to do that we have failed in what God has called us to do it's that important this means my job is to equip each and every one of you to operate within the gifting and calling God has placed on you. This means Jerry's job is to equip and train every one of you within the gifting and calling God has placed on your life. This means Tyler's job, if we don't know what else it is, we do actually know what else it is, but <laughs> is to equip you to move and live in the gifting and calling that God has placed on your life. That is our job. This is our mission, period. Hard stop. To the degree we fail to do this, we have failed to exercise our gifting appropriately. When we moved to Altoona, God gave us a, a mission statement that it was a really good mission statement. You know, for more than five years, it's been this mission statement. Vineyard Altoona exists to be a, a, a community where all people can encounter Jesus, experience reconciliation to God and each other, and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to release the kingdom of God. It's a very theologically sound mission statement, and it just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> of course, it's catchy, too. Every one of you goes home and goes, that's what it is. I get it. So much so that I'm pretty sure the only people in this church who could recite it from memory is probably me and Jerry. Uh, and nobody else. Um, but then after the Unity event back in June, God refined this statement for us. God refined this statement for us. See, we could do a lot of things with that statement, right? It's a very theologically sound, very broad deal. But it was as if God said, this statement is too broad for where I'm taking you. And so he refined the statement. We felt God narrowing the scope for what our mission as a church was to be. And so we've sat on this statement all summer, 
basically to test it and make sure that this is actually what God intends and what God was leading us into. And I have to tell you that this new statement, as I've used it to evaluate what we as a church are leaning into, it has brought such clarity to what God is asking us to do. So here's the refined Vineyard Altoona mission statement. This is the announcement. We're equipping people for kingdom release. That's it. That's what we do. We equip people for kingdom release. What's our mission as an organized body? We equip people for kingdom release. What's the mission of every leader in this church? To equip people for kingdom release. What's the grid we use to filter what we put on our calendar? Does this help equip people for kingdom release? That's it. Now, if you're not exactly sure what all this means, that's okay. This series, we're going to unpack this statement. What do we mean we as a church are doing? So you want to make sure you catch this, and if you miss them, I'll post them on the podcast when I get to it. But next week, I'm going to unpack what it means to release the kingdom. What does that mean? Some of you are like, kingdom release, I don't know what that means. Now, this statement doesn't really change who we are. It really doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change our values of worship, community, authenticity, compassion, and discipleship. We still will do everything this way. And for some of you, you you would go, well, it doesn't seem like this is much of a change, really. And it's not. It's not that we have not been already doing this. It's just that I think as we move forward, God is calling us to be very crystal clear on what we're supposed to do. That we as a church are going to equip people for kingdom release. And here's the deal. Here's why I think we have to narrow, uh, narrow this a little bit. is because I believe that what God is bringing us into is a season where we will equip not just these people for kingdom release. I believe that God is calling us to equip other people for kingdom release. I believe that there are people sitting in this room who are going to get trained, and then they are going to go equip people for kingdom release elsewhere. This is not specific just to the vineyard. I think the role that we as a church play in this city is one of equipping. I think that's our job. Every church is supposed to equip their people for kingdom release. I think our job in this city is to equip all the other people too. I think that's our job. I think that's what we're being called to do. As part of the vineyard movement, I believe God has entrusted us with a special inheritance. Some of you, some of you know that, that God has used the vineyard historically around the world to revitalize the church at large in moving in supernatural ministry in a natural way, thing we would call being naturally supernatural, that we're part of a history of people who have done this all over the world, that the church today is different because the vineyard was part of it. We're a small part. We're like one piece of the stew. We're the carrots in the stew. If you don't have carrots, it's okay. But man, the stew really comes alive with carrots. That's our role. That I believe God is calling us to move into this. And as we equip you, you will equip others. I also want to expand our repertoire for the equipping that we do. Some of you know, like, we do this class like we're doing next week or two weeks from now. The way you sign up for that, by the way, was not exactly clear. You can go to the website, vineyardaltuna.org. There's a tab for... Uh, register for events, and this is one of the events. 
So we teach these classes how to hear from God. This is a foundational thing, right? Like if you can't hear from God, there's a lot of other stuff in the kingdom you just can't do. That we're supposed to be people who hear God's voice and develop the courage to do what he says. So, (laughs) man, the kids' ministry agrees. Agrees. I love it. I love it. The check is coming. but we're going to continue to teach our classes on how to pray for the sick and see people be healed. We're going to continue to teach people how to share their story, how to share the gospel. But I think, I mean, we, we did a training a year ago for how to do deliverance. Some of you, that scares. Like, I've heard people refer to it as exorcism. Don't do that. It just, it conjures up all this movie stuff, and it's just not helpful. But, like, to do deliverance, like, that the, the you ought to be able to be confronted with demonic powers and have authority over them. That that's just part of what it is to be in the kingdom. But that I think part of what we ought to be doing is training people in other things. Like there are people all around the vineyard and all around outside the vineyard for that matter who have learned how to move as kingdom people and we want them to come and train you. I want you to be the most empowered people. I forget who I was talking to. But my hope is that if this church, if the pin ever dropped out of this church, y'all would just go start all new churches. Can you imagine if this seed fell to the ground and died and what came out of it was however many people are in this room, that many churches? Can you imagine the kingdom spread? That's what I think our job is. As long as you are here, my job is to equip and train you to do kingdom stuff, man. That's what I'm going to do. That's my commitment to you. It means I've got to learn some of it, but there's some that I already know that I can teach you. There are lots of people in here who already know a lot of things that they can teach you. That's what I believe our calling is. That's how we make a difference in this city. That's the role that God has called us to play. Here's what I want you, what I want you guys to do, though. I was going to pass, pass out note cards. It's a good thing I didn't have this many note cards. Um, I'm going to create, this is the scary part, a suggestion box almost. If there's something that you want training on, those of you who are already engaged in ministry, you want training on, I want you to put it on a card. We'll have it next week. I'm going to have it. And just drop it. We'll put a box right next to it. I want you to just drop it in there. If there's something that you're like, you know, it would be really helpful for me in the way that I do ministry in my real life if you would teach on this topic. And we'll begin to consider those topics for messages. That's what our job is, is to equip you to release the kingdom. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a suggestion. It's almost like the TSA putting a suggestion box. Have you guys seen that? The TSA puts a suggestion box. And the suggestion box is right after they like pull grandma out of her wheelchair and make her stand up even though she hasn't been up in 30 years. Right? You got, have you seen this? Have you been to the airport? They, put the, they should put the like suggestion box before they like accost you. Like afterwards, it's just nothing can be good about this. I'm going to put a suggestion box on it. I want to finish it like this, okay? We're going to read the rest of this. Here's the point. Here's why. Here's why God has called us to do this. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together 
by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Our job is to help the body of Christ mature. We do that, and as you're trained, you do that. But our job is to mature the church in this city. Did you know that? That's your job, to help the church mature. So here's what I want to do. We're going to just make just a little bit of space. Every, at the end of all of our services, we make space to pray for each other. The band, you guys can go back up. But here's what I want to do. There are some of you have, who have known for a while what God has called you to do. And your response is, well, maybe when my life gets in order, or maybe whenever I have all my ducks in a row, or maybe when I know enough, or maybe when you fill in the blank. What's the excuse that you have used for not obeying God? Right? We all have these places. I had a conversation with somebody just this week who was like, you know, I know that's what God is telling me to do, but I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I was like, well, I at least appreciate your honesty. I mean, God's the one that holds you accountable to that. That's not up to me, but I appreciate your honesty. But what is that excuse for you? That when God calls you to something, it's like, you know, it's really inconvenient right now. Maybe when it's more convenient, I will. There are some of you that you have that. That's, that, that's your story. Like when you think about the things that God has called you to do, you're like, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Some of you know those things. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to, if, even if you're like, I just don't want to. That's your response. I just don't want to. I just don't want to go to Bosnia. Right? I just don't want to. Would you have the courage to allow us to pray that God would change your heart? Like, you don't have to be embarrassed. But here's what, I mean, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Sorry. But here's what I want you to do. Like, I think, it's, I think there's something about pressing into the resistance. And so I want you to stand up just like right now, wherever you are, those of you who are, who that's you, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk right over here. We're not going to shame you. We're not going to guilt you. The scariest part of this is standing up and walking. And I believe God is going to meet you in the midst of this step of courage. If, you, if you're sort of like teetering, you're like, ah, yeah, no, you know, but I was hoping to get out of church early. Yeah, just press right on through. I want you to stand up and, and go join these folks. You know what your calling is, and you've just said, you know, I just don't want to. But I'd have the courage to say, God, would you change my heart? That's a prayer God likes to answer. There are others of you that you're like, I just don't know. I want to say yes to whatever God has for me, but I just don't know. That's an easier ask, right? For those that, if that's you, would you stand up and come on this side? We're going to pray for you too. You're like, I just don't know. If he, says, if he says it, I'll say yes. I just don't know. Just don't know.